0: Hey everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing to the show. We can't wait to share the show, but first I have to ask, how much sleep did you get last night? Getting enough sleep and waking up on time aren't easy, but it can be. The sleep experts at Mattress Firm can help. They have the widest selection of America's best-selling brands, and they have beds for every budget, everybody and everybody. Go to mattressfirm.com podcast and save 10% with the code podcast10. And if online shopping isn't your thing, Mattress firm stores are in your neighborhood, so better sleep is right around the corner. Literally, right around the corner. Hey, this is the moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. My guest today is my dear friend, Seth Godin. This is either appearance number five or six, depending on how you want to it. We can it. round it off. It's great. Seth's without doubt the most uh, popular. Yes, in the moment I get asked all the time to have him back, he and I are planning to do this more frequently. And um, Seth's, uh, in case you're coming to the podcast today for the first time, not because you know (laughs) Seth or me, Seth is a best-selling author multiple times. He is a highly in-demand speaker. He, uh, as an entrepreneur, has built companies and uh, run them and sold them but more than that, he is a student of human nature. His blog, uh, which you can find just by typing Seth into Google, uh, is, uh, has been called the, mo- the, the most uh, read blog by one person uh, on the internet or something like that, right? That's There's some, some stat like that. And it's because every day Seth get, does this incredibly generous and beautiful look at the ways in which we interact with the world and how to do that in a truer, more effective way serving uh, you and serving your people. Uh, Seth Godin, welcome back to The Moment. Thank you, Brian. Three things about
1: The Moment. Number one, I love listening to The Moment when I'm not on it because I learn something every single time. Number two, I'm really grateful for the chance to be on The Moment with you. I hear from people about our conversations and that's important. And number three, Uh, really grateful to the moment because it let us get to know each other really well and that's one of the high points of my day
0: yes that's so great that you said that I was thinking about this that if someone listened to it really is a history of our friendship if you go from the first one when you and I had only met like three times before that to now where you know we see each other all the time with our wives and families and our kids are friends and it's just been it's an amazing it's an amazing thing Um, okay this is a great bit of synergy Seth, I have stuff I want to talk about. Um, This is a great bit of synergy. You know, you wrote a blog post today or yesterday. I mean, you didn't write it then, but it it appeared. Garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. And this is something I've been thinking about a great deal as it pertains to anger. And I told you I wanted to talk about anger. Yep, I'm eager and ready to talk about anger. But I want to talk about Gigo first because it's related. Go. No, you go. Well, okay, what do you want to say about ego? No, no not ego, G-I-G-O, G-I-G-O garbage okay, in, garbage Garbage out. in, garbage out. Yeah, yeah, but I want to hear your question and then I'll tell you what I had. In, what it was. Well, I said this thing when, when um, I, was, uh, I was interviewed for the Wall Street Journal and I said this thing about um, that anger for me was a very good fuel when I was a young person. I, it burned clean for me then in that it inspired or motivated me, or the, or I believed that the anger I had at being either misunderstood or rejected mm-hmm. or not seen in the avatar sense of being sure. seen, um, uh, uh, gave me the, the focus and energy and, 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 and really helped me to sort of get to a certain place with my work, to finish, to, you know, you'd find, you make up an enemy who would be vanquished if you completed this work. And that, and that enemy might be part of yourself, right? And of course, I found much more um, uh, pure reasons to, to motivate me um, in, the, in the big ways. But, uh, but the, the, ang- the, the sense that, uh, the sense of, you know what, fuck you, I can do this, was powerful. But as I've gotten older, I have found it doesn't burn clean anymore. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is there are consequences to living with and reacting to that kind of anger. It, it may still prompt you to do work but it doesn't continue to prompt you to do good work and it prompts you to think about all the wrong things when you're doing work, I think. But a couple of friends of mine my age, very successful, were like, I still never found anything that burns as clean. So i that's where I would like you to start. This is, it's such a
1: brilliant way in. This is, as soon as you said to me that you want to talk about this, 400 different things occurred to me. This, you have. There's three books in this for you to write. It's brilliant, it's a brilliant, And it only happened because you've talked to so many people. So here's my take. Uh, First, I'm going to divide it into uh, ways that people do their work in the sense that surgeons, surgeons, important work, you never want an angry surgeon. And in fact, you never hear that there are people who became surgeons and got good at it based on anger. Like Ben Carson's angry, but I don't believe that he became a surgeon successfully because of the anger. So the second thing I want to say is we've now then taken this group of people, the rock stars, the screenwriters, the people who are in that one little subclass of creative work and said, oh, the angry young man, the angry poet, the angry person who's changing the world.
0: But the angry business person too, who okay. was told you couldn't get into the Ivy League school and went to the small school. I'll give you, you, know. you that one. Sure. But there's a correlation
1: causation problem here, which is there is some correlation between people who are angry and people who have succeeded. But there is also a correlation between people who have succeeded and people who wear glasses or people who have succeeded and people who limp, right? And so the question is, does one need to find anger in order to cause success to happen? Or is it merely coincidental that it happens sometimes for some people? I think you became successful despite your anger, not because of it. And my proof is that you've seen the creosote and all the leftovers that it leaves behind and you've done the work to get rid of it and you're more successful than ever now.
0: So yeah. there's no causation here. Well, I, I think I didn't pose it as, as, as well because yeah, of course, you know, the real reason I changed my life was because I wanted—I didn't want to be an angry person. Exactly. I wanted to be a loving person, but we have to find ways, I think, to process rejection and process the feeling that these forces or exactly. people uh, even don't more think than that. where we're,
1: yeah go even more than that. The resistance is real. Press fields resistance. The thing that gets us to pull back, the thing that keeps us from trying one more time, it is real. There's no doubt about it. How do we engage with it? One shortcut, a juvenile shortcut, is to activate the lizard, the amygdala, and fight back, right? It turns out that's the least effective option because in those moments that we're tapping into our rage and our little kid, our tantrum, we're unable to do our best work because we're not aware of all the others around us. That it's a one-dimensional sort of power. And I think where we have to begin if we're trying to help people break through their block, if we're trying to help people become creative, is to say to them, if we agree that that's the goal and we're trying to help you find the map to get there, tapping into that may give you a little bit of a short-term turbo boost but it is costing you the professional posture that enables you to do the work you set out to do all along. So what you ought to do is not go there the same way somebody who's working on Saturday Night Live should not go to I need cocaine every night because Uh, you're not going to get to where you want to go. Right. So how do you get there instead? And the way you get there instead is by being able to use the expression that was interesting So then when it doesn't work, instead of saying, I am a loser, I have been assaulted, you can say, that was interesting, what did I learn from just what just happened? How do I turn that, that curiosity, that insight, into the fuel for the next? Well,
0: I agree that the result of a dispassionate, you know, I talk about how to react to notes, which I wanted to ask you about. Oh, I love this. And... I, one of the first things that you, one learns, and I'm still, uh, could be bad at it. You know, The show I'm on now, the network's great and the note process is really smooth. But I, in the wrong situation, I could react poorly. But the truth is, I've realized, you wait until the notes don't give you an emotional reaction and then dispassionately look at them. And then you're able to just improve the thing based on the obje- your objective read, which is still subjective, right? But your objective read of what's required. Uh, so that can be the same thing when you get a performance review. Your instinct is to defend all the ways in which the performance review is wrong instead of f- waiting till those feelings dissipate and attacking it, uh, w- doing the work for yourself. But this is why I want to press a little on on, on, Go ahead. on, on the question. We love the story of the author who puts her rejection letters on the wall mm-hmm. and who wants to show all those people that she's a great author and they screwed up and looks at those letters every day as what I call fuel because it, it, uh, it enrages her. And instead of turning the anger on herself, she's able to turn the anger on the monolith a version of the monolith, and then instead of reacting in anger to those people, Seth uses it as a booster to propel her forward like a rocket. Yeah, I don't. And then, call but the idea that is, it's now. hard to burn that off. That's not anger. What is that then? Anger for
1: me feels like uh, someone tweaked a nerve in me, and I have to extract that back at them. Right. So that anger. Is I interpreted an input and I reciprocated, and it requires me to push myself away. It requires me to demonize the other. So, like the author you just talked about, I had all eight hundred of my rejection letters. I kept all eight hundred that I got in one year.
0: Right, because you were rejected on the first eight hundred books you tried to package.
1: No, not the first one. The second through the eight hundred and one. Yeah, and um, it became part of my origin story, part of my narrative of I'm the guy. Who's going to outlast them all. I'm the guy who's going to learn from what they said. I'll show them. But it wasn't I'll show them as a way of rubbing their face in the dirt. It was I'll show them and I will bring them with me. And there's a fundamental difference between that. And, I, and I, you know, you, you talked about the reviews and you talked about notes. So my new book comes out in November. I got what I do is... Say I, the name of your book. It's called Oh, well, I didn't want to pitch the book. It's called This is Marketing. It's a wonderful book. I've read it. Thank you, Brian. I get it copy edited before I give it to the publisher. I've been doing that for the last nine books because then the publisher thinks I'm a really good writer and they're not spending all their time fixing commas. We can get right to the other part of it. Well, new copy editor at the publisher sends me back just annoyingly, annoyingly off. They bothered. No, it's bothered you. They were horrible. They were, and the first eight responses I had to it were more and more angry than the ones before. And what I was doing <laughs> was um, disagreeing with her just because she was being disagreeable, not because it was making the book better. I was standing my ground, And I saw this. After There's one page. There were eight notes on the first page, and the book's 200 pages. There's going to be a lot of this. So I stopped. I deleted everything I had typed. And then in the answer to each one of the first five notes she gave me, I wrote, thank you period. And then in my head, I said, this person is really going further than they even got paid to go. What a commitment on their part to try to make my work better. Thank you. And then I politely explained why I wasn't going to change the things I wasn't going to change. But once I had typed, thank you, and I meant it in the sense that if she'd sent me no notes, that would have been worse. Yes. Right. My posture changed and my posture changed from anger to
0: possibility. And did lucidity come from that? Yes, exactly. And, and have you trained yourself to do that? Yeah, and I've trained a lot of other people to do that in the Alt-MBA.
1: That a key part of, in the Alt-MBA we have 12 projects, and people give you comments on every one of your projects. So yeah. you're going to get more than 60 bits of feedback in 30 days, which is more feedback than most people who aren't you or me ever get. And what we teach people is begin with thank you. Thank you for taking the time to comment on this. Thank you, for, thank you for seeing this sentence. Thank you for seeing this sentence and caring enough to misinterpret what I said and you saw it this way. And if I had seen it that way, I would have said what you said. And if you can do that, then you can go to the next step, which is, okay, that person's correct in their response to what they thought they read. How do I change my work so that either it's not for them
0: or they won't read what they thought they read. They'll read what I actually wrote. Yeah, and so what is it about this idea in the culture of the brave soul willing to defy the convention by being mad as hell and not gonna take it anymore? And the the and and, and for me, one of the reasons that's so resonant is there are so many in our society, and why I've been thinking about this anger is that like, we're all. It's funny. Um, I'd said this to you a couple weeks ago that I wanted to talk about this, or whenever I said it, and then I saw today that Ezra had a podcast about this with Arthur Brooks, where they—I didn't get to listen yet—but they're talking about anger, and I—they're I, talking about it. I think in a political context, right? But it's all tied in be, because the, you know, the angriest man in the world is are uh, is, is sitting in that office, uh-huh. and it makes it makes you have to question, in a way, anger as a mode of, as a prime mode of communication and inspiration. Okay, I want to unpack some of the earlier things from that sentence
1: and then get to the last part. Um, In media in particular, for a very long time there were middlemen. And if you listen to the middlemen, the middlemen made your stuff average, and then it failed. And so in order to be Stanley Kubrick... Right, in order to be, um, yes. you know, any of the greats, you had to say to the middlemen, no, and that is Martin Scorsese,
0: yeah. right? Yeah, right? I had to it's, say no. And, I'm going to do it my way,
1: and that is where the legend of the artist who cares about her work comes from, which is the middlemen found the artist difficult, but we talk about the artists who figured it out only because they were right. Once they, there are plenty of artists who were difficult who were wrong, we never heard of them, right? Yeah, so. But what's shifting is middlemen because you don't have a middleman with a podcast or a blog. You don't have a middleman when you're putting a video on YouTube. You don't have a middleman, blah, 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 blah. So when you're talking to screenwriters who want to find an agent, the agent is the middleman. What they ought to do is make something amazing with no middleman on YouTube. Who's it for? Well, some people will look at it and say, that, and that is a shift because it lets us go to the people who it's for. So now I want to go to the politics thing because there's two parts here. The first part is that successful politicians are now demonstrating again and again it's about satisfying your base, not satisfying the non-believers. And too often, people who want to make things better seek out the one person in the room who doesn't get the joke and try to persuade them that they're right instead of activating the base. And if we learn anything from what's going on, we, I think we have to keep coming back to there are people who want to hear about making things better. There are people who want to hear about doing things that are right. Let's talk to them and ignore the people who don't get the joke.
0: Okay, you just said something so great. and really got me thinking about, about this notion, which is why do we seek out that person? And, and this ties right into the thing I'm, I'm asking about globally, which is where this anger comes from, why it seems like it serves us even if it doesn't. And and it's about being misunderstood and the frustration of being misunderstood. And frustration and anger are cousins. Mm-hmm. And the the feeling when you're trying to do good work, if you're genuinely trying to do good work and it's not received as intended, meaning you get... Cause Sometimes I used to think it was only when, when if uh, someone in a position of a middleman above you, had this, uh, gave you a note, it could drive you crazy. But I could get a note from someone who's subordinate to me, and if it, and if it seems to me like it came from them not understanding, I can get frustrated with the interaction. I'm frustrated at myself. So then you've set up a bad narrative for yourself, for right? Sure, but, non-productive. Yeah, non-productive. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing it. It's better, but. Being misunderstood is you feel accursed when you're misunderstood, uh, especially for people who want to who, who want to be communicators. Yeah. And so what do you def- How do you train yourself to default to something other than frustration or, or anger uh, when you've put your heart on the line? Because, yes, you caught yourself on that thing. But we've also had conversations about situations where you have been misunderstood. Oh, I'm misunderstood every day. And it's frustrating. Yeah. So how do you breathe it out? Well, the biggest thing I do is I cheat. I don't read it. (laughs) Sure. I don't
1: take the notes. Notes require enrollment, and I am not enrolled. That if I write something like I wrote today, and it really made an impact on 47,000 people, and a hundred people hated it, and they want to tell me about it. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear because it's not going to make my work better. My work is not for everyone, and it, it, this one didn't work for you. I totally get it. So we're going to print up "Stop Stealing Dreams," the manifesto that I did about education. It was six years ago, and I wanted to put some blurbs on the back cover. So I went to Goodreads and read some of the reviews of this uh, free. <laughs> oh, I
0: thought you never do
1: it. I know it was I for thought work, never though. Read it stuff. wasn't for my. It was for work. I needed three blurbs. So this happened yesterday. So it's free. I wrote it for free, 80,000 words. See, for you're frustrated. Free. I'm frustrated because this woman yeah. just ripped into it. Seth and, Godin is human, by the and way. And then I look at her name, and I'm like, what does this person do? So I Google her. She works at Oberlin, Oberlin. There's not one person at Oberlin who disagrees with the core idea of that book. There's not one person. I thought, you know, she was a Navy SEAL or something. No, she works at Oberlin. So I just want to get on a plane, fly to Ohio and say, (laughs) wait, wait, you didn't read page seven. Right. You misunderstood. Exactly. So what I'm getting at is if you're not enrolled in taking the notes, then do what Penn does. Penn doesn't read the reviews of his work Why? Because it's not going to make the work better. You're a professional. So there's lots of things. Surgeons, back to surgeons again, they rarely do surgery with their hands dirty. Why? Because if your hands are dirty, the surgery is not going to go well.
0: So just because the review is there on Amazon a click away doesn't mean you need to read it. Right, but we're also talking about uh, somebody having the brainstorm. You know, They're in the conference at their office. Yeah and the boss says here's what we need we need the solution to x right. they have a eureka moment they know and you've written about you've written books sure. about this but they know right and they've solved it and they walk in and the boss doesn't because they didn't get it. solve it go deeper they didn't solve it because the act of working
1: in an organization is telling a story about the work that makes the person who has to buy the story happy to buy it if you say, I can prove I'm right, it's irrelevant. So Ignaz Semmelweis, one of the greatest scientists of all time, figured out that not washing your hands after you're in the morgue delivering a baby, you're going to kill people. He proved it. He put it beyond any shadow of the doubt. It took 20 years. Yeah, they didn't wash their hands forever. 20 yeah. years. Why? Because Ignaz Semmelweis was a jerk. That's why. It's, it's told reason. great
0: in uh, Atul Gawande's book, right? He, tell, he does a great job of telling, I think, the story in a, a a long way about yeah. how it happened and why it was so hard to happen. So he didn't
1: solve the problem. If he had solved the problem, he would have told the story in a way that would have raised the status of the people who heard the story so that they were eager to take on
0: the shift he was bringing forward. Uh, and and maybe if the thing that happened was he got frustrated and angry and walked away, he, he did a, in a complete disservice to everything that mattered to, that guy, to him, as opposed to finding a new way to tell the story. And he
1: killed thousands of people because he let his anger get in the way. He killed thousands of people. Like if he had taken a machete and run down the streets of Hanover and cut off people's heads, he would have killed fewer people than he did by getting angry at the medical establishment and walking away for years. Is that what happened? He walked away? Well, he ended up at a second-rate job at some other hospital because he couldn't figure out how
0: to spread his idea the way Louis Pasteur figured out how to spread his idea. Imagine learning new recipes from Gordon Ramsey or photography tips from Annie Leibovitz. Now you can with Masterclass. Let me tell you, the David Mamet Masterclass, for me, uh, I was so excited to watch that one. I haven't watched the Aaron Sorkin yet, but I plan to, because he's a super genius at writing television. Uh, I wouldn't be the writer I am without David Mamet, and both of those people are on there. Masterclass offers online classes taught by the best in the world. Each class is shot with cinematic production quality. And offers on-demand lessons loaded with exclusive content you'll find only on Masterclass. You can choose lessons from classes taught by over 35 masters, including Malcolm Gladwell, Ron Howard on collaboration, astronaut Chris Hadfield on traveling to Mars, and so many more. Plus, new classes are always being added. Whether you are pursuing your passion or developing your career, you'll find a Masterclass for you. Masterclass has even been featured by the New York Times, Vanity Fair, and ESPN. For a limited time, The Moment with Brian Koppelman listeners, get a free seven-day trial at masterclass.com slash moment. Learn from the best in the world at masterclass.com slash moment. That's masterclass.com slash moments. Do you think that the things you do, the meditating, the, the, the way you organize your day and your life, the amount of time you make sure you're isolated to do your work, the ways in which you connect with people, does that stuff help you to process it and put it aside, the the anger, or is it merely growing older? Well, I never had the anger the way you had the anger, right? But
1: a bunch of years ago, I had to make the decision about whether I was willing to pay the price to continue to be a productive artist because I didn't have to do it for a living. And so you say to yourself, what's this for? Why am I even doing this? It's not for my ego, because there are plenty of ways you could fly your way onto television and be more famous than that. And I said, I like paying this price. I like paying the price to be a professional teacher and creator. And so when it's not working, again, thank you. Thank you for showing me that it's not always going to work. Thank you for showing me a different way to not do it right. Thank you for caring about my work so much that we engaged about it so I can make my work even
0: better. What is I'm gonna stay with this anger thing because so many people have brought it up to me recently because I've mentioned it a couple of times. What is so alluring about giving into it, do you think, in the culture? Um in the right, in the movies, I, you know, mm-hmm. uh I'm not out of order, you're out of order, the whole thing is out of order. Uh this idea of the the the, the maverick, not in the McCain sense, but the the the, the maverick who just giving into the way the anger feels to, to move you f- to move you forward into the work and the reason I'm, I'm staying with it is yeah. I want to get through to the other side of it to figure out what else what we need to because your answers so far are, are very good intellectual answers but I have found that one has to find a way to substitute an emotion for another emotion very often because can I give you one more intellectual answer and
1: then we can try to get yeah. to the emotion part So the other half of what I wanted to say about politics, because I've been thinking about this like all thinking Americans have for months, years, is how do we explain the behavior of some people who are doing things that by our measure make absolutely no sense, right? And for me, my insight, I think, is that there are two axes one can work on, the axis of affiliation and the axis of dominance. And so if we compare um, the Reverend King... With Malcolm X, Reverend King was into affiliation. How do we have lots of people walking side by side? How do we change the culture sideways? Whereas Malcolm X was saying, we will dominate this conversation in this moment. So some people are affiliators. And that mindset, I mean, 435 people in Congress, at some point, you have to be an affiliator. Whereas other people can bring, like professional wrestlers, Hulk Hogan, not known as an affiliator, known as a dominator. And so professional wrestling is the theater of domination. And if you realize that you can succeed in politics by feeding the base, and you realize that some people walk around with a a narrative of domination, suddenly the two pieces fit together. As long as my side is beating someone else, I am happy, right? So where does the anger come from? Well, maybe what happens is, when we get criticized, we have two choices. We can extend the relationship by affiliating, by figuring out how to work with this audience member or this middleman who doesn't get it. Or we can go to the dominance thing, which is if we have a tantrum, we may very well get our way. Either way, we're going to be done with this person who hurt us, who criticized us, who rejected us, because pushing them away is a key part of dominating them. So I think when we start down the path of saying, I am furious and I'm not going to let this go and I'm slamming my foot in the desk, yes. that is going down the domination path. And we all know that doesn't end well. So the discipline, and I don't think it's just intellectual, I think it's disciplined. The discipline is to say, I smell this, I see this coming, but I'm a professional. How do I get back to being in the affiliation
0: business? And how do you call yourself a professional before there's real evidence that you are? Because the two of us have achieved a measure of professional success for a variety of reasons, and it becomes slightly easier to do that math. But you're trying to you've driven you as you successful you've driven uh, 400 miles to check into the hotel you have the confirmation email you've paid your credit card has been charged and you get there and the inn has no room for you right this has happened and so there are a couple of ways you can try and and it's as you say a middle manager who doesn't care mm-hmm. they've had whatever the computer malfunction was You are the 17th person who's come in and they don't have a room for you. What happens to you emotionally in that spot? It has dramatically changed as a result
1: of training. So walk us through that. Well, so this is a different kind of anger that I certainly was feeling at 24. And you've heard me talk about Zig Ziglar before. But Zig's thing was, we are constantly putting bad news into our head. We're constantly putting experiences into our head. And if you just read or listen to something good every once in a while, it'll get outweighed. So I would listen to his tapes two, three hours a day, every day, for four years. Right. And the hotel thing, the story is, he same thing happened to him. And he says, this was back when the first George Bush was president, he says, um, so uh, if George Bush walked in, would you have a room for him? And the hotel clerk would say, well, of course. He says, he's not coming. Can I have his room? And as soon as that exchange occurred, he could realize he had a game to play here with this person that was either going to get him in the room or it wasn't, but it was always going to get him in the room better than having a tantrum. Right? No, I slept on the floor of the hotel in Bentonville, Arkansas, and it wasn't that many years ago, 1998, on the floor. So, I know the feeling of losing that exchange, but I also know that angry never won that exchange, not in my experience. So why,
0: why'd why you do it? Did you enjoy it? And so you've trained yourself to in the moment, because this is the emotional piece, right? to in the moment go to, I'm now playing a game. Yeah. I'm engaged now That's in a game and I have to find exactly. a strategy. Right. And, and I can relive the, Frustration later. Exactly. But if I'd I can to. switch now, I can actually win the. You basically convince yourself. Yeah. I can win. Uh, I can win this instead of giving into. So I've been defeated, or I'm losing, so I'm gonna push back with force. Yeah. You go to well. Now I'm in a contest. Now I'm gonna aff- either affiliate with this person, make them laugh, connect, or I'm gonna try to find a strategy, which may involve sleeping on the floor.
1: But the point is. To say, to begin with, isn't that interesting, makes it, oh, I'm going to learn something about human nature right now. And I already know me, so I'm going to learn something about this person. I'm going to learn something about this system. I'm going to learn something about what might happen here. And it's not just a hotel clerk. It could be the person in the third row. I gave a speech in Mexico last year. Someone in the third row talked on her phone. (laughs) She didn't listen on her phone. She talked on her phone throughout my entire talk. And the right thing to do would be to pretend she's not there and do it for the other 2,000 people in the room. So most of the time I was able to do that. But every time I glanced over and she was literally talking on her phone, I, I, I lost it, right? And I knew that if I had had a tantrum on stage, it would have been justified entertaining for the audience and would have ruined my day because it would have been a moment that I would not be proud of. So instead, I'm thinking, well, this is interesting. What could I do differently that would momentarily change this interaction? Well,
0: that outer, the the sort of, a couple different things that all make sense. But the idea of when you say, oh, look, this is fascinating, or this is compelling, or this is a wild situation, and you focus on the other person. I was watching the poker World Series poker the other night, and I was watching that. When a guy made a big bet, normally often you'll make a big bet and then you try to stay very still and not give up anything about yourself. But this one poker player I noticed instead started staring at the other player and actually trying to learn something from the other player. When he'd put himself in the vulnerable position, he then started, instead of it being about, I hope I don't give anything, all he was doing was watching you to see how you're gonna react. And and whether he was actually watching you or not or learning something, I was like, that guy's impossible to read right now because he's not looking at himself. Exactly. He's looking there. Brilliant. And I thought, I was like, that, we can all use that. Right, Because we all walk around, because of the phone and the social media, and selfies, we're all constantly managing this perception of yeah. ourselves. We're all s- self-involved to some extent, which is the the downside of this kind of anger, is then the narrative is all about, I have to get here. I have to change this. I have to, instead of my work has to be good, uh, the the thing I'm doing has to be compelling. Yeah. That's the switch I feel like Right, we and that's what and that's and that's what my definition of a
1: professional is. So when I was my first year in the book business, I made $5,000. I made 2500 cuz Chip Conley made half. So I made $2500. But I within a couple months was a professional, even though I wasn't getting paid for it because I could go to a lunch with a book editor and be treated like someone who was allowed to have lunch with a book editor. And that was a big shift for me. So there's a room here in your office. All the rooms have little nameplates on them. There's a room on the way to the men's room that says, unsupervised. I love that. It's a a a title, I think. It's a a title of somebody's movie. Well, it should just be a word that can go on room name, right? Unsupervised. Because that word is so powerful. For most people, when was the last time you were Mm. actually unsupervised? You were supervised as a kid, you were supervised through school, you were supervised in your job supervised in a team sport by the coach we don't spend a lot of time being unsupervised what do we do in that situation do we take responsibility do we ask for authority do we are we generous do we how do we act when we're unsupervised and i would argue that what makes someone a professional is that they can be unsupervised
0: and in fact that they they almost want that yeah they want that time and and the trust and the trust to do their thing well okay related to this I, I, I'm thinking also about fear uh, which is another related emotion mm-hmm. and I wanted to get um, a little bit ask you something a little bit personal just trading a little bit on my knowledge mm-hmm. of the real person um, of you know your, your life which is I mean you've said this on, on my show so it, actually also so you've just written this book, and the book is coming out. But two years ago, you told me you were never going to write another I'm book. I'm a hypocrite, for sure. No, that, and that's the easy answer. But okay. no, I'm, I want to talk about the process. Here. Okay. Because, Seth, the book business made you angry. Disappointed. And I would say both. Tell me. You don't think it also, you, you don't think, because I would hear you sometimes talk about the way in which publishers would tell you, the one, that they were going to market a thing, I would ask you just to ask yourself, was it a combination of a little bit of anger and a little bit of disappointment or no, only it was, disappointment? It was
1: such, such deep disappointment. Okay. Because I care about these people. Of I course. I like
0: these. Well, they're most industries
1: I've been in, I'm happy when I'm out of that industry, right? Like, I made a, a movie with a union cast. I've, yes, I, Aaron yes, you can, course, you can move I'm on. Of course, you can move on. But book publishing, that's my home. You right? love books. These, these, I love books, but I love the people too. And they care, but they kept disappointing me because they saw it coming. And when they didn't see it coming, I told them it was coming, all of the things. And they heard me and they couldn't move away from it. Right, me. so when I'm
0: in a Cassandra sp- situation, it gets. I would express it as like sure disappointment, but also some kind of being mad that they didn't get it. Uh, but can you just talk a little bit about because you you did the thing in a really deep way that you encourage people to do, and and I, I will just say, you know, Seth, everyone who meets you thinks you're a wizard. They think you're in a in a way su- superhuman. You know, even like super smart people I know, really because you speak in paragraphs and because you're so wise and you work so hard to learn so much. But the truth is, you're a human being, and you were. Uh, you were casting about a bit. A lot, yeah. And it didn't, this didn't come easily to you. And I think that that's important for you to talk about a little bit, which is for, you had, and it's not just oh, I'm a hypocrite, I do. it's like you were hurt uh, by the business and by the cost. How did you make the decision to do this? And then how did you shut the world out? And how did you shut your own s- disappointment out? to produce this book, to write this book, and take the risk of engaging with the publishing business again. Okay, well, I'm not sure I can
1: make it as dramatic as my fiction-writing friend can, but I'll do my best. (laughs) Did I say anything untrue? No, but you put a wonderful point on it. Um, What does it mean to do creative work, any creative work? It's work that hasn't been done before. So it's completely different than paving a road. There's a spec to do certain kinds of work. There's no spec to do creative work. I thrive on that zone. I've explored what it's like to do work way too creative, way too soon, right? I invented a fax board for the Macintosh three years before someone came out with it because the chips cost too much in the zone, right? you got to be just right. And in that space, It's sunny and the relative humidity is 40% and the temperature is 70 degrees. Or else you're just drenched to the bone and it's freezing and you don't know which one of those two things it's going to be. You're playing with ideas and watching them dance with each other. I love this and I miss it when I don't get to do it. So other media have shown up in my life and I've been in many forms of media and I like to play with them. But I keep coming back to this idea that everyone gets the same 26 letters on the keyboard. Everyone has the same uh, template. How can we get under someone's skin and make a change happen? So I I like that. I want to do that more. When I built the marketing seminar, the online course that we run, it worked. I used this new medium. We are the only people who use it this way, and it worked. And 6,000 people took it. But 6,000 people isn't 600,000 people. It's 6,000 people. And I said to myself, some people aren't going to pay the hundreds of dollars and spend the time it costs to be in this setting. Some people want to read a book about this. How can I reach them? So what's the medium going to even be? So one thing I could do is, like I do with Stop Stealing Dreams, just write a manifesto, put it online for free and be done. But I thought about the fact that if I could buy the boundaries again and say, I'm not allowed to pass this line, I'm not allowed to pass this line, inside this bucket, what letters and spaces will I put? Can I take that challenge on again? And I decided, even though I couldn't visualize the book, that I would. And I talked to my old publisher about it, and that's why you have old publishers, so he can say yes in 15 minutes. Adrian was great. And Adrian said, I get where you want to go with this. I know you don't know how to get there yet. We trust you. Go. Make this happen. So now all of a sudden, I didn't have to think about you know form factor and retail distribution and sales tax. Someone else is going to do all that. So now I've made it as pure as I can. And I wrote a first draft really fast, and it wasn't very good. And then I wrote a second draft and it was a little better and I showed it to you and you said, this isn't very good. And so I had to dig deeper in figuring out where I was gonna solve each one of the 42 problems that the book presented. I never said it wasn't very good. No, you didn't say those words. I said there was a secret other book inside the book. And so I worked very hard to bring that out. Yeah. Right. And I appreciated that feedback more than you know. It matters a lot. Most people don't give me feedback like
0: that. Well. It, I, I love the book and I love what was inside it. The thing is, you know, you're the, you are the best student of human nature, I know. And so I, and that was all in the corners of the book. And when people read the book, they'll see that it's in there and, and they'll, you know, they'll learn a lot about it um, and about how to tell their story in a compelling way. Are you struggling to get sleep? If so, the fine people at Mattress Firm want to help. Mattress Firm is here for you when you're looking for ways to improve your sleep. These are mattress experts here, people. And they're not just mattress experts. They can help you build your bed from headboards to adjustable bases to sheets. They even have bedroom decor. They got you covered literally and figuratively. Plus, if you go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast, you can save 10% with the code podcast10. Mattress Firm offers a 120-night sleep trial. So you can rest assured that you'll love your mattress or your money back and They offer a 120-night low-price guarantee, so you know you paid the perfect price with more than 3,000 stores nationwide. Not only are they in your backyard, but this means they have the ability to offer you deals that nobody else can, and that's on top of the 10% savings you'll already cash in on. So go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast and start sleeping better. Tonight, how did you make the deal with yourself about handling the heartbreak? the potential heartbreak. Because as you said before, you don't need this financially. You don't need this in your, you don't need the ego hit. You get all the ego hits you want when you walk down the street. You get that when you open your inbox. People are thanking you all the time for helping them in their lives. But what is the story you told yourself about dealing with the, because you are someone who won't even read the comments about you online about allowing yourself to stick your neck out in this particular way again, even though it's caused you some pain fairly recently? Well, so
1: the answer is exactly the advice I've given you and so many other people. Right? I've said, the New York Times bestseller list is rigged. Ignore it. The reviews don't make any sense. Ignore them. It doesn't matter how many copies you sell. That's not an indication of whether you wrote a good book. It's an indication of whether you marketed the book well. So taking my own advice about this, sitting with Adrian. and said, look, for once, I'm not going to tell you how to mark and publish my book. I'm just going to make a book for you.
0: Is that okay with you? And that was the deal. So you hypnotized yourself in a good way yeah. into caring about what was on the page. Yeah, exactly. And you actually divorced yourself the best one can. That doesn't mean you won't feel anything, but you took the uh, zen-like approach of going like, I am the result of this. Doesn't matter. I'm doing it for the for the, the sake of trying to change the ideal reader.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna do my best work for the people I seek to do it for. And whatever happens is something that happens that I can't change. That what I know is that the books I've done that have sold the most copies are not the books that have worked the hardest to be sold. Well, as you know- So it's not right. on me.
0: As you know, well, like look at the dip, which just right. people still are, you know- uh, Benefiting from nationwide television mentions. <laughs> so, no. Uh, Well, because it occurs to me that a lot of us have found a way to master hiding in plain sight. Yeah, all of us. And and that to reveal the part that you're not hiding, and we can do it by being a very close facsimile of the real thing. So we can do it by, if really in your heart, you're someone who writes and you write books and you put all that out there because you have these thoughts, but instead what you're doing is you're speaking and you're writing a thing You're doing it, but you're not really doing it. Are you doing a part of it? Mm -hmm. Uh, And recognizing that, and for me, it's a personal thing. It's about like feeling as fulfilled as I can. So when you give talks, you're being all of it. You're not a simulcrum of who you are. You are who you are, and you're doing what you were born to do. But it used to always lead to a gathering of these, collecting of these Thoughts and ideas and distinctions, and then a book, and then you've, you, or did it yeah, not? Did it work well, the other way? You think? Yeah, the books certainly came long before the speaking. But I think,
1: you know, the, in talking with friends, coaching my friends, the question I keep coming back to is, you know, what's it for, and how will yes. you know? If at soccer matches, what they had on the scoreboard was how many times each player kicked with their left foot, that's what soccer players would pay attention to, not how many goals they scored. So what you keep track of is what you will keep track of the work for me has been to say i'm going to keep track of this thing i've decided that's important so i get far fewer web hits than i could i get far fewer book sales right. than I, I don't want to be on television all of those things that's grown up what's not grown up is believing that other people's metrics are your metrics that counting how many facebook fi- friends you have that Figuring out what your average Yelp review is—those are other people's metrics. If you want them to be your metrics, have at it.
0: In a real world, with people who, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the. You and I have talked about this a lot off the mics. You know, we were both born, uh, Bucky, white people, men, of some privilege in the way that we grew up, and it allowed. It, it helped to allow us both to, dr- to be a kind of dreamer in what we wanted to do and chase fulfillment. For women and people of color, it's much more difficult. Yeah. Than, you know, it has been and it still is. Right. Or if you're born in Zanzibar or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Um, right. We, I left out. Yeah. American. Born in a time when an co- economy in a country that was thriving in many ways for people like us <laughs> at the time. Right. But. Most, for, for most people, and especially you know, most people who aren't our age and aren't at that point in their career where they've done a lot of things, it's hard to ignore the metrics because those metrics might be part of the thing that, are, that help put food on the table. If that's
1: the thing, yeah, yeah, make say, speak it, to it. Make it the thing. Say, so, that. say so that.
0: In September,
1: we're launching a, a short course, the Bootstrappers Workshop, how to build a freedom based business that makes you money if it works, right? But what people will tell you, is, well, I don't really want to do that thing where my job is to organize you know, limos for this thing, this project that will make me a profit because my muse is I want to go do this. So now you have two goals now. Right, right? Now you want to do this and get paid for it? Let's have one goal at a time, right? So if your goal is to make a better than average living, then yes, it's harder if you're not born in the dominant power class, but it, in the United States it is not that hard if you are willing to take certain kinds of risks. and. Not fool yourself into thinking
0: it's your dream job. Well, that, then you might not be doing the thing you're meant to do. This is what I'm saying is we both found a way to do the thing that we felt we were meant to do. And we've added things, to adjuncts to it, right? So right. I make the show and, people, and why do I do the podcast? Because I'm meant, I have to do it. Right, but for 20,000 years,
1: those things never lined up. Musicians didn't Speak make Speak more money. about this. Musicians yeah. didn't make money. Writers didn't make money. Entertainers didn't make money. If you were a minstrel you were an itinerant you made nothing right it was a coincidence if you could make a little bit of money
0: doing it that was super rare and if there were if you had a patron yeah um, a Medici right right? you could maybe survive but if you didn't alienate your Medici right but
1: so the idea that you could make a living doing what Van Morrison does doing what you do doing what I do that's brand new right it's not an entitlement we were lucky for sure but what I say to people is If you can find a group of people who have a problem and who are willing to pay money to solve that problem and you solve it for them, they will pay you money. So if you want to make money, go make money. Once you make money, then you can go say, and now I'm an oil painter. But when you start being an oil painter and say, and I must make $150,000 a year from my oil painting, what you've actually said is, I don't want to be happy.
0: Yes, Acuff Acuff and Pressfield both talk about this well, I think. But Acuff talks about, uh, and The Dip, your book, speaks about a different aspect of it. Uh, But Acuff in two of his books talks about when to quit. And uh, in a pragmatic way, you're talking about when to quit in an emotional way. He's talking about when to quit pragmatically. and, And one of the great things that he points out, John Acuff, is do the other thing what people know, I don't love the term side hustle, but do the thing that moves you. You don't have to wait to do it. You might have right. to wait for, to, for do it to it on pay the you. Right. Do it for a half hour every morning. Exactly. And like, you know, that- For the I, right I, reason. I, I, didn't quit. I think one of the key reasons that, uh, given everything else I said, but one of the key reasons that it worked for me when I finally tried to do it was that I didn't quit my job. I didn't put so much pressure on myself right. to do it. And you I were just measuring worked, the right thing. I worked a couple hours a day. I felt really alive at, at, at writing the script. I felt super alive in those moments. It didn't matter to me if I lost sleep to do it, if I had to wake up extra early. I was gonna show up and do it because in those moments I felt alive. And it took so much pressure off the work day because I wasn't looking to, to the work day to solve those problems for me. Right. I could be there without misery. Exactly. And the mistake people make, they make many
1: mistakes. One of the mistakes they make is getting a job that grinds the life out of them and so they don't have anything left for their passion, right? So you're going to need to bring some insight and energy to the job part too. But the other mistake, the bigger mistake is because we're hiding, we keep ratcheting up how much we need before we call ourselves a creative
0: well, the, and the great thing about this approach that you're talking about is that it solves the talent question. You know, the thing right. that I used to say a lot on the podcast in the first couple of years was that the, the line between being delusional and an artist is so thin. And when that's really made manifest is if you've quit everything else and it's all that you have. Right. Because then the question people are asking, what if I'm not talented? Or what if she's not, you know, my kid wants, what if my kid's not really talented? And I always say you can't know until they do the work for like a concentrated amount of time. But the talent question becomes irrelevant if you're not counting on it to make your whole livelihood in the moment. The talent question will solve itself over however much time if you're sustaining yourself some way and then just doing the work in this slice of time that you So
1: I'm I'm walking through a nursing home in 1980. that is going to be acquired as part of a sixth nursing home deal because I'm going to build a spreadsheet for $20,000. It's going to take three months of my life. And nursing homes smell terrible. And I'm in this nursing home doing this work. That's my living. That's what I did for a living. But what it did when I got home is I said, safe writing isn't going to get me out of the nursing home. Dangerous writing is going to get me out of the nursing home. Writing that makes me uncomfortable is going to get me out of the nursing home, and this is a good reason to do it. Now, you might call that anger. I don't call that anger. I say, oh, I get it. If I want to do this and get paid for it, I can't coast. I have to figure out how to expose myself to emotional
0: danger because safe work isn't going to pay. Yeah, and no, I, I, I... Yes, I might have turned that into anger at the person there who tr- who treated me wrong. The wonderful thing for me was then very soon for me and that's why I said anger doesn't burn clean anymore I don't I don't use anger any anymore really in my life I'm not interested in engaging with it and I even have seen uh, people who I had been like people who I felt like I'll show them and I see them now and they come up to me and I would have imagined and they're nice and they will say to their kid you know, Brian and I were great friends at blah 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 and I'll remember the way they really treated me. And what I thought I would do would say to the kid, "Let me tell you about. Let me tell you about your father. Let me tell you how Uh-oh. he treated how he treated uh, his friend." Uh-huh. But instead, I just give them a hug and say, "Like great to see you," and uh, say a funny thing about the way the person played tennis, and move on. So the people who I could have harbored a grudge with so far more
1: than 75% of the time don't even remember having engaged with me don't have any recollection how's that po- what do you mean they didn't remember rejecting my book they didn't remember that i pitched them something they didn't remember that they were the giant impediment between x and y that you know you're building uh, an internet company and there's some key player in yeah. AOL who just completely backstabs you no recollection
0: yeah, so in that case, it doesn't. It, there, you, you got to let it go. Well, I choice, had let
1: it, let it go a while ago. What I'm saying is there's no revenge possible when the person doesn't yeah, even, that's even what remember I'm saying to that's
0: you. That's why you have to doubly let it go. Um, lastly, you said, even though there's so much, but lastly, you said you wanted to really talk about garbage in, garbage out, right. as it relates to all this. And here's how I understood it, reading it, which is that, Uh, It's another form of making an excuse for why your performance isn't good. It's worse than an excuse. Why? It's blame. Sure. Right? Well, which gets us right back to anger. Right. So
1: this is something software engineers do worse than almost anybody. So what happened to me is I was using this device and I went to the discussion board and I said, this device isn't doing what I think it ought to do and blah, blah, blah. And here's how I think you could fix it. And one of the other users wrote back, Garbage in, garbage out. What do you expect? Because the materials I was using weren't. The
0: materials they were using so or you were using? The materials I
1: bought from them to use in Got their it. device. right? And I, that made me furious, not at him, but at the very concept, right? That if you want to make something that you're proud of, it also has to be resilient. It has to be resilient in that it can keep the promise you made to the user. So if someone watches Billions, and write you a complaint letter that says they were with their three-year-old, how dare you show what you show on the show. You can write back to them and not say garbage in, garbage out, say, well, I'm sorry, but we never promised it was for three-year-olds. That's totally legit. got to figure out who it's for. But you're not allowed to say to somebody who's in it deeply that all of a sudden, you're now having characters speak Esperanto. You need to know Esperanto. You're not allowed to say that because you've taken the resilience out of the promise. And for me... It goes way beyond a a technical laser cutter all the way to software, all the way to a nurse, all the way to a teacher. Garbage in, garbage out, which means blame the user for coming with the wrong tools, is cowardice. And what we have to do is say, thank you. Thank you for telling me that a rational, thoughtful person might have this problem. My next version, if I can, without sacrificing other things, will deal with that too. That's how we get progress. That's why the last line, which I loved, was it should be garbage in, gorgeous out. Because if you can be in that business, there's always going to be work for you.
0: Well, we, we can leave people with that. Garbage in, gorgeous out. And and please note, Seth did get furious at something. <laughs> so human like the rest of us. Thank you, Brian. It's always a pleasure. Seth, you're the best. Wanna and go? if
1: someone's listening to this and didn't make it to the last 15 minutes of the interview with Penn, it's the last 15 minutes have the money quote. Go back and listen to the end.
0: Oh, to the end of the interview I did with Penn. About Paul Simon. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, Penn is really something else. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find Seth online. You won't find him on Twitter, even though this is Seth's blog. is an account on Twitter with many followers. He doesn't go there. You can go to his blog. Uh, You can find a way to send him a message. Uh, You can sign up for the courses. You can buy the books. I highly, highly, highly recommend that stuff. And uh, you can find me at Brian Koppelman on Twitter. You can email me, because I'll take the feedback, but I might get angry. Uh, TheMomentVK at gmail.com. And we will see you soon. Seth and I will... I'll say this. Two things to say to everybody. I'm going to do an Ask Me Anything podcast soon, and maybe I'll do it with Seth. So ask uh, me any question you want to ask. Send an email or... Uh, message me on Instagram with like you asking it as a video question. So I have audio for it. Very clever. And if you do that, uh, I will answer a bunch of the questions and maybe do one with Seth as well, where we dive into your questions and talk about them together. So the moment dot or find me on Insta and hit me with a video of your question and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Brian. At the end of the day, you want to commute home listening to a good podcast. And you want to come home and have a good night's sleep on a great mattress. Pro tip, your budget stretches further at Mattress Firm. We appreciate you listening to this podcast. And we promise you'll appreciate us once you head to Mattress Firm and find your perfect mattress at the perfect price. Don't forget to go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to learn how you can improve your sleep and save 10% with the code podcast10. It's sleep you dream about.